Good morning, Crossroads. Thanks for coming out on a cold morning to worship with us. It's a joy, as always, to worship together. We'll continue in our series of 1 Thessalonians this morning. We're moving into chapter 2, and Paul starts by saying, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. And that's really kind of the point of this series, Transformed, uh, the result of the gospel moving forward is not just more information, but it's transformation. The primary purpose of the Word of God and the gospel is transformation, not just information. And so Paul says that. And if you recall, if you were here at the start of our series, Paul was in Thessalonica for less than a month, only over three Sabbaths, and yet transformation is happening, and it's significant. And so Paul says this morning, he reminds the Thessalonians of the beginning of their transformation, which is really gospel mission, which is what took him to the Thessalonica in the first place, to show and proclaim the gospel to them. And so um, let's read uh, the rest of this chapter now, starting with verse 2. I'm sorry, we're just going to go through verse 12, about half of the chapter this morning, two paragraphs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll begin with verse 2. Paul said, We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Now there's two very distinct elements here of effective gospel mission, and that's the beginning, as we've said, of transformation. It's the transforming power of the person and the word of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And Paul reminds us that to be effective in this mission of the gospel, two things have to happen. There has to first be proclamation and then love. And both have to go together, and we'll describe that this morning. So one is really the theme of the first paragraph, the other the theme of the second paragraph. So this is fairly simple. We're just going to break it down, and we're going to see really criteria to help keep us on track, both with telling people the gospel and showing them the gospel through our love. First, this idea of proclaiming. To proclaim is just to tell something. Proclaiming, sometimes we think of it shouting. It's not necessarily shouting. To proclaim just means to tell somebody else something that you know. So it's to tell. 
And Paul gives several characteristics here of their proclamation. The first one, he says, he does it with boldness because he says, he said, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution. So it was a bold move of Paul to go into this city and proclaim the gospel. And then very quickly there was this resistance as we've studied in the series so far. And yet Paul forged on with his proclamation of the gospel. He was very bold in telling them the message of the gospel. Now, sometimes when we hear the word bold, I think we misunderstand. And I think maybe we associate boldness with, I've got to do whatever it takes to convince you. And sometimes that may even lead to violence. And I want to help us understand this morning, Paul is by no means champion this idea of, of fighting. Boldness isn't a call to fight. That's not a part of our Christian mission. The church is not to advance its mission by fighting, by force, or any other kind of coercion. We're to advance the mission by love, which is the second paragraph that we'll talk about in this message. We are not to weaponize the gospel. It's important we understand this because the church has tried this throughout history. Church, we are not called to weaponize the gospel. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified? And when the soldiers went to arrest him, Peter and the boys thought, yeah, it's game on. This is what we're waiting for. And Peter was very bold. He takes out his sword and... Maybe it wasn't a great swordsman because he missed the guy and just nicked his ear and cut off his ear. Remember what Jesus did? He didn't say, yeah, fellas, get the rest of the swords out. It's game on. Let's go. No, he said, Peter, put away your sword. So whoever lives by the sword will die by it. And from that moment on, the disciples just kind of fled because they realized, oof, this guy didn't come to weaponize this message. And then the next day they watched him die. See, the way we advance the mission effectively is not through weaponizing it. It's not by force or coercion or manipulation. It's by love. And we'll talk about that in the second half of this message. And we should learn this just from history alone. The crusade didn't work Didn't go well for the global advancement of the gospel. You see, the gospel fights for people, not a cause. And I put fights in quotation marks here. It takes effort, it takes boldness, but it's all about people. It's about the message of love and goodness and grace from God. We're not advancing a cause. We're advancing the gospel. Now, we can be bold, and we should be bold as Paul was, and he's probably the best New Testament example we have of a guy who is really bold in his proclamation or speaking of the gospel. But Paul didn't take on a fight in Thessalonica. They persecuted him. They drove him out of town. But he didn't rally the troops to fight for the gospel. And he makes his appeal. He reminds the Thessalonians, no, I didn't come to fight. I came to love. We're not to weaponize the gospel. Secondly, Paul says... They preached the gospel. They declared this. They told the truth of the gospel from pure motives. Verse 3 and 4, he said, the gospel appeal that we make, it doesn't spring from impure motives, and we're not trying to trick you. Paul said, that's not what we're doing. 
We didn't come here to do something sneaky, to trick you, or to be underhanded in any way. No, we just came as as messengers of the gospel to preach the gospel to you. So it's a beautiful thing that Paul does. Uh, Thirdly, our third point is he then verbalized the message. He said, we have been entrusted with this message of the gospel, and gospel proclamation is a big part of effective gospel mission. Now, sometimes, especially in our context, I think we, we often maybe forget this, that the gospel does have to be verbalized, especially in our context where so, there's so many churches in our county, in our area, so many people that um, have heard or known the gospel, and sometimes we just forget that, man, maybe somebody doesn't really know the truth of the gospel. I'm kind of an illustration of that. I was raised in the church. But it was when I was 21 years old that somebody finally explained the real reality of the gospel to me, and I understood it personally, and I embraced it personally. And yet I was raised in the church, and I could have told you the facts about Jesus. Another illustration, I cut my teeth in ministry at actually at a Presbyterian church in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. And the guy who was the senior pastor there was also the fellow who planted the church back in, I think, 1958 or 59. And I was there in the um, 80s. And uh, it was an amazing church, but a part of that senior pastor's testimony is he didn't come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus personally in the day in and day out until almost a decade after he planted the church. And for us, it's like, what? What? How can that even be? He was a church man. He had been through seminary. He was very doctrinally astute. He knew his stuff. He was a very strong leader, very influential person, but he didn't know Jesus till 10 years after he planted the church. Somebody was asleep at the wheel. How can that happen? And it's a beautiful story because a group of men, professors from Purdue University at the time in the late 60s got together and began to pray for the salvation of their pastor. And he came to Jesus and that's what they call the renewal years from the late 60s in through the 70s. The church just, just exploded with the gospel. And by the time I showed up, it was very committed to discipleship. Evangelism was a beautiful thing to see. See, sometimes we just forget that the gospel has to be verbalized. We can't assume that people understand that. We need to verbalize it. And so this is what Paul is saying and what Paul did in Thessalonica. And he goes on in verse 5. He says, we... We didn't do do this for selfish gain that used flattery. They were compelled by Jesus Christ. He realized they'd been entrusted with this message of the gospel. It wasn't about selfish ambition or any gain for them. It never should be. The gospel is the truth of God that needs to be proclaimed to the glory of God. And that's number five here. Paul's motive was clearly to glorify God, not to gain praise from people. And so that's so important that as we talk about the gospel, as we tell others the gospel, that we're doing it from pure motives, for the glory of Jesus, that it's not about selfish ambition, personal gain. And we know plenty of cases in in the West here in our country where it seems like preachers or others are confusing the message of the gospel with the benefit that maybe they can, can be theirs from the gospel. And you wonder if there's greed or flattery that's advancing the gospel. Pure motives. All right, that's the first key uh, element to effective mission is the gospel has to be verbalized. Somebody's got to tell it. The next 
The effective key here that Paul gives us is the second paragraph, starting with the verse 7. And we're just going to call that, we have to show the gospel through love with care. And Paul starts out this section by giving us this beautiful metaphor of a mother nursing an infant. Of a mother nurturing and caring for a baby. What an incredible picture that is. And Paul says even though he had just met these people, and he was only there for three to four weeks, he had that kind of love for them that he would use this metaphor. And and so this paragraph is all about Paul's love for the Thessalonians. Church, we must be about gospel proclamation, but to do it in love. It is the strategic way of our mission. Our Lord, the head of the church, does not call us to weaponize the gospel, but calls us to loving proclamation. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think there's other valid reasons to bear arms. So don't, don't email me about this. There's such a thing as just wars. Praise God for our veterans who have taken part in that to establish our freedoms and to maintain them. There's such a thing as personal security and keeping your family safe. That's all well and good. But when it comes to mission, the mission of the church, we are not to do it in a weaponized manner. That's just not what Jesus called us to. And I I fear in our day with all the dissension and the politics and the tribalism that's happening in our culture that some people are confusing Christian nationalism with Christian mission. They're two very different things. And I would love it if our nation would embrace biblical roots and would come back to our foundation perhaps more and be stronger, committed to the Scripture and to gospel and biblical foundation. I would love that. So I'm not against that. But when it comes to mission, we are to advance the mission through love. We're not to weaponize the gospel. It's just not there. It's just not there. And so let's think about this metaphor that Paul gives us. It really is amazing. Just think for a minute about that nurturing mother. Whether she's bottle feeding or nursing that child, doesn't matter. She gives up a lot to help that kid flourish, doesn't she? It's a beautiful picture of sacrifice, of, of intimacy, the intimacy between a mother and an infant. It's an incredible thing, deep, profound love there. And then there's sacrifice. If you've been a mom, goodness, you know this. Whenever that baby's hungry, you got to feed him. I know some of y'all, some of you mothers try to do this on a schedule. Good luck with that. So when that baby's hungry, you got to drop what you're doing and feed him or her. And so it requires sacrifice. It requires flexibility. And all that comes from deep, profound commitment. And as you nourish that child, giving out of your own resources, it will drain you to the dregs, won't it, Mom? Do you know that expression, the dregs? We don't use it as much anymore. Uh, It's the idea of like the dregs or what you might sometimes find on the bottom of your coffee cup. If you've got a little grounds in there, those are the dregs. But you don't even know they're in there until your cup is drained. So the idea of being drained of the dregs is being emptied so you can see the grounds at the bottom of the cup. That's That's what a mother's life is. She's drained to the dregs. She's emptied for the sake of that child. And Paul is saying, this is how much we loved you, Thessalonians. We put ourselves at risk. We drained ourselves for your sake that we might tell you the gospel. 
And so the first point under this kind of loving nurture is to just share the gospel message as a mom would to a beloved child. If you, love your, if you, if you have a child, you love that child, of course you're going to tell that child what's best for them. So as Paul loved these people, it was like, I have to tell you the gospel. It's your way of hope. It's your way of life. It's your way of flourishing. And there's an urgency to this. Let me make one more statement here about gospel proclamation before we continue with this context of love. There's an urgency to telling the gospel. John Piper, a great theologian and pastor and Bible teacher, taught me this a couple decades ago when he, he, he said, mission is not eternal, it's temporary. When Jesus comes back and takes the church to be with him in heaven, the mission doesn't exist anymore. Uh, worship is eternal. We'll get to worship Jesus for all eternity. Fellowship, our oneness in the body of Christ is eternal. We'll get to love on each other for all eternity. So if you don't like me, you should start getting used to me. So we've got eternity together, brothers and sisters. That's eternal, but mission isn't eternal. And we don't know when Jesus is coming back now, do we? So there's an urgency to the mission. There's an urgency to telling the gospel. But that doesn't give us freedom to weaponize it. It should instead empower us with greater love. Point two, that we could care for people as a mom does for beloved children. That we would love people that much. That we wouldn't judge them or condemn them in our mission. But we would simply love them. And not expect godly Christ-like character from them if they're not in Christ? Why would we expect that? Love them. Earn the right to speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. And Paul goes on and he says that not only do we share the gospel with you, but we shared our very lives as well in verse 8. So this is a holistic kind of sharing. It's not just telling a set of information. Paul says we shared our lives with you. We engaged with you. They did life together. And then he talks, our fourth point, about enduring hardship for them. And you know if you were here, when we looked in Acts 17, when, God, when Paul spent that time in Thessalonica, there was suffering, there was hardship, he was persecuted, he was driven out of town. So this was out of love. He endured hardship because he loved them enough to do what it took and to withstand what it took in order to speak gospel to them. Including, number five, he worked hard to not be a burden to them. As most of you know, Paul was a tent maker. So he worked at a vocation in order to support himself. He wasn't going to ask a young church to support him. Now we know from the rest of the New Testament later, as the church was established, Paul would ask for help financially, take resources from one church, help another church, another place, another country. That was common. But as an early church, he was like, I don't want to be a burden to you. So I'm going to work and earn my own keep and feed my own family or my team. So I'm not a burden to you. This, you see how this love is the motive? He's loving them well, really well. And then he says, our number six from verse 10, that he says, you know how we lived a blameless and righteous life in your presence. And this is so important if we're going to tell people the gospel, that we also live the gospel. There has to be consistency there. Otherwise, we undermine in the, 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 the authority of our message. If we're speaking a message, but we're not loving, consistent with that message, we're just conflicting people. 
So the importance of living this righteous and blameless life that we do by the presence of Christ within us. And then finally, number seven, Paul switches metaphors a little bit to the Father. And he says, we loved you like a father. Like a father encourages, comforts, and urges people to li- children to live in a certain way. So he said, we've urged you to live Christ-like lives. All right, let's talk about application of these two key principles of effective mission. Telling, and really it's just showing. And, and so it kind of comes down to a pretty simple formula, doesn't it, that we've all known since kindergarten, show and tell. It really is show and tell. How can we apply this? I think one of the things you can do is to ask yourself uh, a couple questions. And when you are talking about your Christian beliefs or your convictions your commitments, or your passion for the gospel. Are you speaking that out and communicating that as a nurturing mother or a weaponized soldier? It's a good question to ask ourselves. When I'm sharing my convictions, the things I believe about the gospel, about the Word of God, how do I share that? As a nurturing mother, tenderly and out of intimacy and commitment and sacrifice? Or more like a weaponized soldier who just wants to get my point across and prove that I'm right? See the the difference? So that's one application. Use these two ideas, these two key principles of effective mission just to assess how you're doing personally. And then make sure that both are happening, that you're loving and you're also verbalizing. For some, depending on your personality, it might be easy for you to love, but hard to verbalize. Personality more like mine, it's easier for me to verbalize than it is to demonstrate love all the time. So you have to know yourself, But both of these are important. It's not one or the other. And throughout church history, it seems the church has done this. We've either accentuated proclamation, and at times that's even been weaponized. We call that the Crusades, Middle Ages. Other times we failed here and and we've loved. We've loved well, but we've failed to proclaim the gospel. That's part of what happened with that senior pastor at the church in Indiana where I served, because he was a part of a denomination who had elevated social action and who had done some amazing things, had built hundreds of hospitals around the world, had dug thousands of wells around the world, had cared for people well, but they didn't have the same passion to proclaim or to tell the gospel. So they ended up with people, nice people, great people, kind people, who maybe didn't even know the gospel. The gospel that saves. It's important that we keep this in balance and that we... So here's a corporate application for Crossroads. Crossroads, we always need to be certain we are elevating love and proclamation. Loving care, gospel proclamation. We always have to be asking the question, are we in balance? Or are we committing too much to this and not enough to this? And probably it goes more like this than a stable like this. So that's an important question, I think, for us as, and our leadership teams and our people who do this. Um, just like that church may have accentuated social action more, probably the last 50 years, the evangelical church of which we're in that stream, we're probably more guilty of gospel proclamation to the, to the lessening of love and care. And one of the things that's been around for, I don't know, 40 years or so is a thing called uh, the Jesus Film. Everybody ever heard of the, you all know what the Jesus Film is? started through Campus Crusade for Christ, what's known as CRU now. And I have received support letters over the years from people who are Campus Crusade missionaries who say, we take the Jesus film to this primitive village in India, in Asia, in Africa, wherever it is, and we showed the Jesus film one night, and 25 people gave their lives to Jesus. And now we're in another village, and I'm like, whoa, 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 time out! 
You showed a film, you dropped a movie on them, and then you went to the next village? Where's the love? Where's the care? Where's the discipleship? You see, that's the problem. If we elevate gospel proclamation and forget about the longer-term elements of the loving relationship and the care and the nurture, we're not effective in mission. And if we're all about social action and forget to proclaim the gospel to the same intensity, we're not effective in gospel mission. It's got to be both and, church. Both personally and corporately. And this is Paul's point to them. He's saying, you weren't weren't just a project to us Thessalonians. We loved you. Even though I was just getting to know you, we loved you as a mom loves her infant. People are a priority to us, not a project. And it's so important in our world that we advance the gospel through loving relationships or people just feel like a project. Now I want to I love it when I can, when there's illustrations within Crossroads of the very things that we preach. And so I want to give you, I want to wrap up with a few illustrations here that just kind of say, way to go, Crossroads. And sometimes we talk about our mission being here, there, and everywhere, or locally, regionally, and internationally. So I want to give you an illustration of each one of those. And the first one is locally, even local within Crossroads. Um, Our brother Mike Burkholder lost his father two weeks ago. And he died on a Saturday, and I called Mike and Offered my condolences Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning. I saw him. He sits over here usually. They're gone this weekend, but he sits over here. And I thought, I'm going to get to Mike and pray with him after service. And so after service, I prayed with some of you, talked with people. I couldn't get over there. And so I actually went out in the lobby and circled back around and came down the aisle. And by the time I got to Brother Mike, two other men from his couple's small group were already ministering profoundly to him. They were encouraging him, speaking gospel truth to him, speaking the hope of the gospel into his life and his heart. And I was just struck by that. It was like, yeah, way to go, Crossroads. This is what we want from our small groups. I had to stand in line to encourage a grieving brother. That's how it ought to be. You see, our small groups should talk about the Scripture. We should talk about gospel truth. We should challenge each other with that truth. But it's got to be more than that. We've got to do that in loving community where we grow in intimacy with one another and we care deeply for one another as a mother cares for a nursing infant. It was a beautiful thing that so encouraged my heart. Now I'm going to tell a story about Brother Nashwan. Didn't ask your permission. Can I talk about your New Year's Eve party? Okay. I'm going to whether you shake your head yes or not. So I met with Nashwan this week, and he tells me that he and Sina had a, had a party, a neighborhood party, on New Year's Eve to love their neighbors. Way to go. And they had it outside. Yes, they set up like a big screen and watched a couple Home Alone movies, you said, and, and then they watched the ball drop, you know, from Times Square, and I'm not quite sure Nashwan really understood why people in New York City do that. I tried to explain it to him, and I got nothing. I said, I don't know, brother. It's a bunch of drunk people watching a ball drop. I I don't even know why. I don't know. And they had food, because Nashron can't do anything without food. It's a great thing. We'll get rid of ministry. They love their neighbors. You see what's happening here? And then in the process of the evening, he had conversation with a couple neighbors. Um, one of them he's talked with before and he challenged that neighbor, you ought to take a step closer to God this year, a step closer to Jesus. Maybe you want to forgive people who've wronged you or maybe you want to start reading the Bible. And that neighbor said to him, mm, yeah, he said, thanks. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll pray this year. Can you teach me how to pray? 
And Nashwan said, do you have a father? And the guy said, yeah. He said, well, just talk to God like you talk to your father. See what happened there? Love that opened the door for an opportunity to tell parts of the gospel. Another neighbor came and shared with Nashwan how she had this conflict within her family and she was feeling real tension about it and he prayed for her, for peace in her heart. She came back a few days later and said, I feel that peace. Everything's resolved in my family. Thank you. Will you keep praying for us throughout the year? Isn't that a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about? It's reach out to people with this kind of profound relationship of love and care and then verbalize the gospel. We've got to tell them. Um, I want to plug one of our Sunday morning classes. We call it the Life on Mission class. We're at a transition point. We're going to be starting a new unit next week. The class meets at 9.30 in the dining room. So you all are 11 o'clock people. You can go to this. 9.30 in the dining room. We're going to study a little book called A Meal with Jesus. And it's six short chapters from Luke's gospel about a time when Jesus simply shared a meal with somebody. So he entered their home. He got connected with them in a significant relational way around the table. And by the way, having a meal is an international thing, isn't it? We all eat several times a day. Have you ever thought about how to leverage your meals, your meal table for the gospel? And so that's what this book is about. If you have interest in that, and you can do that with your family, in your neighborhood, overseas, wherever you are, that's a missional opportunity for us to do as Jesus did and to be instructed by Jesus on how to leverage and maximize even meal times for the gospel of Jesus. So we'll, all, we'll give you a book and starts in next week. Brother Jarrett McDermott, one of our elders, is going to be the moderator of that course over the next six weeks. Now let me give you one more illustration. And this is an international one. Um, most of you are aware of one of our international initiatives is called the Southern Africa Church Planting Initiative where we resource indigenous leaders to plant churches. Started a little over two years ago and I want to remind you this is not just resources to plant churches but it's really two streams. We bring the stream of uh, training and resourcing church planters to know how to plant a church, train them in that through indigenous leaders there, but also resource them and train them how to start businesses so they can be sustainable. So we give them resources that they can Ron and Kathy King have been instrumental in this over the last five years. Uh, this, this impartation of resources out of love and care so the gospel can be sustainable, their church can be sustainable. And uh, our international director of church planning there, John Mutandwa, sent us an end-of-year report that was just kind of surprising in a wonderful way about how the show-and-tell is bearing fruit in southern Africa. So we've put this to a little video. Um, enjoy this. <laughs> 